Hello, this is Pete, and welcome to the latest edition of AdTech Innovators. This week, it's a social media special, except we're focusing on people who have influence on social media, but who don't consider themselves influencers. The first of these accidental influences is Daisy Christodoulou. Author and educationalist, Daisy has written a book called Teachers vs. EdTech, and also works for No More Marking, the e-assessment platform. She has 40,000 followers on Twitter. Next, Sunny Sharma, who is the founder of New Ways to Learn and Spongy Elephant. He has multiple Twitter accounts and a very popular website. We also have Erin Halligan, who uses her 11,000 followers on Twitter to promote her children's writing. We also have Joe Watson, who is a LinkedIn rule breaker, whose posts on LinkedIn generate a considerable amount of engagement, which really helps her business. Of course, I, Pete Atherton, do bring something to the table. I have uh, around a million, 1.2 million page impressions on Pinterest and Twitter combined, and around 20,000 uh, followers on uh, across all social media platforms. But first, Daisy Christodoulou. Before we finish, can I please ask you about social media and just a couple of things about that? I mean, one of them is um, this one, one, th one of the things I explore through my work is this disconnect really between not just mobile phones, but between social media in the real world and social media in schools. So obviously, you know, the, of kids are on social media all the time, yet they're forbidden in many schools from actually having a phone, uh, from bringing a phone into school from and using social media for learning, you know, to help them learn to, you know, augment their learning to deepen their learning or whatever. Um, do you what are your feelings on that disconnect really between you know what kids are doing with their phones and on social in, and what they're doing in schools and what they're forbidden from doing yeah so I have a chapter on this I have a whole chapter on this in the book and the chapter is all about attention <clears throat> and actually I think we talk about mobile phones in schools but I actually think it's really interesting because I think a lot of the issues that that schools have with mobile phones are actually issues that wider society has mm. and for me uh, I'm not against social media I think look I had a, I've had a Twitter account for a long time and it's made a big difference to my life <laughs> so I think there's a lot of good things about social media I do think that, and this I talk about this in the, in the book, that the the business models of a lot of the big social media companies and the, the, the more broadly the big tech companies is problematic for learning mm. because the business models, because they all basically, you know, so few of them involve subscriptions and most of them involve advertising. Their business model is essentially how much of your attention they can grab. Mm. And so a lot of the time we talk about um, big tech companies, oh, they want your data, they want your data. And yeah, they do want your data, <laughs> but yeah. they kind of want your data in order to get something else, which is your attention. You know, a lot of the times the end goal is not your data. The end goal is your attention. Yeah. And there's all kinds of fascinating stuff about the cost of effectively an, a, you know, a second, a second of people's attention. Advertisers look at, look at this, how much did it take to get people's attention? The cost of that has really gone up a lot over the last 10 to 15 years mm. as there are ever more competing pressures uh, on 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 our attention so yeah. 
And so the, that, the book I talk about, I, I just talk about the, the, the then the unethical things that some of these companies are doing to grab your attention. And that's not just true in of, of kids in schools. That's true of all of us. They're trying to do that with all of us. And so I think regulation is probably coming in this area. And it'll be interesting to see kind of what shape it takes, because I think people are more and more aware that these business models, there is something slightly dubious about them. Yeah, cause it can never be an equitable model, can it? If the it's a one-way uh, street, isn't it? Because you know, you take, I grab your attention, you get nothing in return, apart from some kind of you know addictive behaviour, yes. if you like. Um, interesting, so, and I think one of the things that I would want to put to you as well about social media is, um, how do you feel about being uh, referred to as an influencer? <laughs> it's a what dirty is- word, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of these. Um, I, I just used the word paradigm shift, didn't I? Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of jargon out there. Um, if people feel that they find my work interesting and they find it helpful, then that's lovely. I'm very. <laughs> <laughs> but how has Twitter helped you, though? I mean, obviously, you, you, you do. You are an influencer, you know, in, insofar as you have. Was it forty-seven thousand followers, something like that? Uh, was it more than that? Um, many of them, but go on. Yeah. Yeah, many, many followers um, and a, a great deal of engagement. And so, how has Twitter actually helped you in in, in your career and, and what you're trying to, um, I suppose, get across to people? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about social media is it, it, it or at least certainly in its early stages, is it removes traditional gatekeepers. Mm. So I guess, you know, I joined it in 2010, I was in my 20s, and I was writing things about education that were really in, in contradiction, I guess, to most of the received wisdom within education. And I think without Twitter, I'd have had a much harder job getting my views heard. Mm. I also so I think one thing it does it lets you bypass some of those traditional institutions and traditional gatekeepers the other thing it lets you do is it makes it much easier to make friends with like-minded people mm-hmm. so again what I realized when I started tweeting is there were a lot of other people who felt like me and a lot of other people who were skeptical of again some of this received wisdom but they weren't all in my school <laughs> uh, they weren't all living you know on my street So you've got the ability to connect with a lot of other people and to form networks with a lot of other people who, you know, you're not geographically concentrated and then you can can form more of an alliance. So certainly for me, yeah, I think that in those areas and I think for for, for a lot of us who are um, in education, it's been really good. It's allowed new voices. It's allowed, it's allowed, as I say, people who were maybe finding it harder to to, to get a voice and to get ideas out there. It's allowed them to, to, to get their ideas out there a bit more. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Daisy. It's been, it's been really pleasurable and really informative talking to you. Um, I'm very grateful that you've, that you've come on the podcast. A few more to come before the book is uh, released, of course, before the book is published. Um, so thank you so much. One more question. Can technology sort out West Ham's defence? <laughs> beyond all hope, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I might have to rely on David Moyes' death stare instead. Absolutely, yeah. We'll see what that does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, so um, I look forward to, um, to catching up with you um, in some form on social, probably just before the book is published. But um, I thank you once more. That's great. Thanks very much, Pete. Really enjoyed that. Next up, Sunny Charman. Okay, so this this is great. Thank you so much, uh, Sunny. 
if it's okay with you, uh, can we talk about social media as well? Sure. Uh, because uh, I do have an edition coming up in a, in, um, in a couple of weeks' time, which is a social media special about okay. educators and social media, how they use social media and how kids use social media and should use social media. So really, I'll start with the obvious disconnect between that we have both observed between what kids are doing on social media a lot voraciously yep. and um, the sort of fear surrounding their mobile phones in schools. So they can't, they're, they're banned from using their mobile phones or they get them out in the classroom and annoys the teachers, of course, yep. um, justifiably. Um, and these fears about obviously cyberbullying and, and GDPR and offset and uh, everything else. Yep. Um, so how do you, um, what would you say about that disconnect between how kids are really using social media and how little they're using social media platforms as part of their education? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, there's a huge disconnect. Um, and this conversation about social media and students using their phones is, I mean, you know, probably going back about 18 years, the first time I remember that conversation, you know, we're going back to the kind of Bechter days. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, um, in my last school, which was Ginogli City Academy, which was a very cutting edge establishment back in 2005 when we opened, um, we spent quite a lot of time talking then actually about the idea of um, students using their own devices. I mean, of course, back then, mobile technology wasn't as prevalent, but students had iPods and they had mm-hmm. Nintendos. Um, and it's interesting because we have the same challenges now. And I think, I think you know, I do um, I do a number of workshops for students uh, in schools, um, which focuses around the use of everything from Discord to TikTok, and it speaks about um, you know the way students communicate in applications like Minecraft and uh, Fortnite. Um, and I think what's interesting is that most of this language and most of these environments are completely alien to schools. Um, So I think the disconnect is now even worse because, um, you know, schools will often talk to young people about Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. The reality is that most young people will spend their time on other social platforms that schools don't necessarily spend any of their time on. You know, schools will have Facebook pages and Twitter accounts um, and they'll use YouTube, um, but they won't know about these other spaces. And I think that's where some of the danger lies. and I think to really bridge that gap, there needs to be done. Uh, there needs to be more done in schools um, to get teachers more familiar with these environments. Now, of course, some of the challenges are when you're in a school, and I go into schools all the time, where I'll try and get onto these sites, and they're all blocked. Um, yeah. And the only way I can demonstrate the potential, but also then the dangers of these sites, is to use my own hotspot. Um, right. So, I mean, there are challenges around. Um, what schools understand as being the places where students are on Mm -hmm. um so if i take my own son for example you know he's not on facebook he's briefly on twitter because of love island recently um and he's on instagram but he spends most of his time i would say on snapchat tiktok you know uh he'll use twitch uh he obviously uses youtube and discord and sites like that um and those are all a bit of an unknown to schools and yeah, and they always will be. There's, there is, a, I suppose, with a sort of existential. It feels like an existential crisis for teachers to an extent because you know we we can't control what kids are looking at anymore. I mean, back in the old days, of course, um, we could wheel out a, a video and, and show them something from the television in a very controlled way. Uh, whereas there is no control at all. If we say let's have a lesson on TikTok, we no. the, the kids will take control, and that that's a form of anarchy, really, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, there is a way to to build the right, um, I mean, I'm not sure the, um, whether it's the word skill set or to build the right, um, the right attitude towards things like social media. So, for example, lots of schools are using um, Microsoft Teams and they're using OneNote for collaboration and they'll use things like uh, Google Classroom um, and some of the tools inside Apple School Manager. Um, and I think what's interesting there is, is that um, there is an opportunity to give the students some freedom to be able to start to understand the impact of things like digital footprint. And um, when they're writing messages to each other, you know, to kind of almost stage some of this so that students are thinking carefully about what it is that they're writing to these platforms. Because yeah. um, I think, you know, with social media, it's two or three things really, but one is around uh, almost the courtesy or, or the right attitudes in terms of the kind of messages that they write. And then is this kind of next step, which is around video and and images um so yeah so i think there is this there is an opportunity to do some of this inside schools but i think schools um also get quite bogged down with the idea that actually this is online safety so we'll do it on the one day one day a year in february um and it's not something that's kind of taught you know it, it isn't delivered to, to students in the way it should be uh, because it's such a prevalent part of their lives Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I suppose it's a, a, an analogy, really, is imagine if uh, every every issue to do with, say, knife crime or sex education was, was brought into your classroom yeah. tomorrow. How would you deal with it? it it's this, this massive monster that's so much bigger than um, what you're trying to teach. And, and uh, but it's in the kids' heads, of course, which is uh, very challenging. So we're not going to solve this quickly, are we? Um, yeah. What about your social media uh, activity and how social media have helped you as, as a professional? Um, yeah, so um, I'm one of those people, actually. So I jumped on to, I mean, in, like in terms of big social media stuff, I actually jumped on after, probably towards the end of my kind of, you know, full-time teaching career. Um, so I haven't really had the same benefits that maybe um, some of the kind of superstars, you know, like superstar educators you see on, on social media right now. Um, in that back then, the way we spoke about what we were doing was through organizations like the SSAT and Bechter um, and organizations like that, really. Um, but in terms of how I use social media, you know, my kind of go-to my go-to platforms are LinkedIn, um, largely for the kind of professional side of things. Um, I have a number of different social media accounts, uh, particularly on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and yeah, you know, I think it's kind of twofold, really. One is um, when you're running a business, there is an opportunity to look at how you can kind of reach out and share some of the good ideas that you've got um, to kind of grow that business. And actually, I think LinkedIn's been more useful than all the other social media platforms for that. Um, and then I think things like uh, places like Twitter, for me, Twitter, Twitter for me, probably, you know, I mean, yeah, actually, I think tw Twitter for me is just a good way to um, kind of almost stay connected to the audience that I'm probably no longer part of as a ex teacher. Um, so I do like to go into Twitter, actually, just to see what's what the profession is talking about. Um, and I mean, I was on Twitter just a couple of just a couple of days ago when I was reading something about um there there was a new teacher actually uh, probably a, a kind of relatively new teacher to the profession and, and and she was talking about her day um and the challenges of you know students being in a classroom disruption uh, having to manage you know a kind of cohort of 30 students uh, and dealing with the day-to-day -day challenges and then going home and doing all the assessment piece now um that that particular uh, person only had about a thousand followers 
but she'd managed to create such a huge kind of community of interest in a matter of moments um, who were empathizing with her and providing good advice and good ideas. Um, so I think by by the end of it, you know, she'd got almost 700 uh, retweets and well over a thousand likes. And I think I think there's an opportunity for for teachers in the profession now to really start to grow a community of people that they wouldn't normally have any access to. Um, mm. So, but I, but I also think there's not enough teachers on on those social media platforms. I think a lot of teachers will be on Facebook and Instagram, but they won't necessarily be on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and I think they're missing something there, actually. Yes, and it would be nice what you talked about with um, somebody getting a lot of empathy, if you like, uh, for an idea. It would be nice if that you know, fleeting virtual empathy actually translated into you know sustained real empathy. Uh, I mean, it's really good that people like Ross Morris and McGill are very involved in, in trying to change things for the better on social media. Yes, of course. And teaching through social media and through his website, of course, Teacher Toolkit. Um, but yeah, um, that's interesting. Would you consider, apologies if this is a, a silly question, but I'll ask it anyway. Would you consider yourself an influencer, Sonny? Um, not really. No, not on social media, actually. Um, I mean, I just don't have the time to, you know, put in the effort to kind of almost grow that. Um, and, you know, I put my hand up and say that um, I'd probably say about 30 to 40 percent of what, what hits my social media channels um, is automated in some way. You know, there are some amazing automation tools out there. And actually what they do is um, I can plug in what I'm interested in and what they plug out is uh, useful content. Now, you know, that forms two things really one it um one it you know gives me an opportunity to try and understand what the people that i'm connected to are interested in um but also at the same time what it does is it kind of helps me to keep my finger on the pulse a little bit you know so um and you know in the past that might have been automatically sending out tons of tweets but you know now it's kind of limited to one and then i'll see see what kind of interactions are, uh, are on that and if anything it helps me to then inform content that we're creating for spongy elephant um all for other platforms so so um do i think i'm an influencer uh, i think in certain circles yes but i wouldn't say necessarily on social media and i'm basing that just on um followers and you know probably the amount of um, interaction i have with social media um i think if i had more time if i could dedicate every morning to social media i think i would have a very different impact mm. uh, or at least i'd feel like i would anyway yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's I'm just looking at your uh, Twitter now, and of course I am uh, distracted by the weekly distraction of Tongue Out Tuesday, of course. But um, yeah, absolutely, yes, that's that's the big news. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do, do you think that if somebody actually declares himself as an influencer, then um, there is a whiff of the snake oil snake oil salesman um, there? Yeah, I think so. Actually, you know, and um, when you walk around bets and um, you know, when you walk around bet, and of course, there's lots of influencers that are in this space. Um, I mean, I've I've been in the ed tech space since I started teaching. My background is in computer science, and I mean, I've always worked in IT. Um, my PGC wasn't design and technology, but I very quickly moved into the IT space, and you know, within a year, I was head of IT in a school. So, so my background has always been IT based, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think that there's always that risk um, that. Um, uh, the influencers actually are supporting particular products or services because you know that that's what they've been kind of brought in to talk about. Um, whereas I I would say I'm 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 relatively unbiased really. Mm. Um, I have lots of different hats on, and I will happily talk about the thing that I feel 
is going to have the most impact um, as opposed to the new shiny object or the new, you know, kind of brand new service. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm coming at it from a very different angle as somebody who's a, you know, an English teacher at heart and somebody who um, is very much uh, pedagogy first, te- you know, technology second. Um, but Google Suite, you know, G Suite, Google Docs and so on, that's made my life so much easier. It really has. Absolutely. And I always feel evangelical uh, about that. I wouldn't have written a book without Google Docs. It's, it's got to be said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to organise all of the content. Uh, it, it's made my life so much easier. And Google Slides as well for presentations, so much easier. Absolutely. And, you know, I think just getting back to the original question, you know, which was around um, am I an evangelist um, or the other option? Um, you know, um, I, I absolutely agree. I, um, I talk to schools all, all the time about Google Classroom and I'll go into schools where they will say, um, or, you know, sh- should we go Google or Microsoft? And I'm almost like, well, you know, that's almost the wrong question. The question is, what would work best in the amount of time you have available? How much time can you offset in terms of training? And also, what do you want out of it? You know, if you're looking at reducing the cost of your devices over the next five years, well, going Google does help because Chromebooks are incredibly low cost, cheap devices. Um, but there are certain tools, you know, people ask me to compare Microsoft Teams and OneNote to Google Classroom. And you know, hands up, it's Google Classroom every single time for me because of the simplicity that comes with that. Um, But then there's also lots of other tools that I will evangelize about because I think they save people time. Uh, They save people time, but also they help um, students and teachers to do things that wouldn't otherwise be possible, you know, Mm -hmm. not not in an easy way anyway. So, so I'm a big fan of some of those things as well. Yeah. And do you think that teachers should um, continue to be suspicious of um, the tech giants and um, and to feel like I did at BET, that I was walking around and while I was recording my podcast, I was saying that there were many representatives from the tech giants who were delivering presentations and training sessions, and they look a bit like children's television presenters, you know, they're, they're uh, they <laughs> brightly coloured clothing, very casual, uh, brightly coloured trainers and so on, and t-shirts, and uh, they always looked um, very sort of happy and uh, a little bit zany. Yeah. Um, um, and they're talking about things being super cool and and, and so on. Um, so do do you think we should we should we, we teachers should, should you know, fear the march of the tech giants? Um, I think so actually, and I think you know we've reached a point where it's very easy to just go big and you know just go well actually everything we do is Microsoft or Google or Apple. Um, and I purposely this year with my uh, kind of best of bets, you know there was a disclaimer right at the start which says look I've included nothing at all with any of the big guys, uh, with the exception of HP, um, because they do such a good job. You know, they do yeah. such a good job of talking about everything that they offer schools and, you know, the kind of cost of entry is incredibly low. Um, so they do a good job already. They've got some fantastic products. Um, but I think when you go to places like Bet, you've got to almost – you know, do that in the morning and then spend the next two days meeting everyone else because there is some phenomenal stuff out there. And I think a lot of people can't compete. Um, well, actually, I think most people can't compete with the big guys at all. Um, but I think, you know, at the same time, you've always got to come back to those questions. When we when we think about in a kind of world obsessed about GDPR and data and data security, uh, data security and like rightly so, um, all of the free stuff, ultimately means that you're giving something up and in many cases that is data that is habits it is um you know, you know 
absolutely well i mean there's so many so many touch points you know so many touch points day to day uh, which provide data back to these organizations and i think you've got to ask yourself quite a serious question which is which is you know do you mind that enough to go i don't mind because I, I i enjoy using those products and services so for example you know like whatsapp i know whatsapp is owned by facebook whatsapp is aggregating huge amounts of data um but whatsapp is a real savior for me in terms of both my personal and professional life it enables me to communicate with my kids um and whatsapp is a fantastic tool so i've made a concise decision which says I'm willing to get my head around the fact that there is some data, well, a lot of data that's moving around because this is a good service. If WhatsApp turned around tomorrow and said, Sonny, we're going to you know, use none of your data at all, none of your habits and stuff, but we're going to charge you £10 a month, I, I wonder whether I would pay £10 a month for that service. So, yeah. so, I, think, um, yeah, so I think you've got to, you've got to um, see what the big guys are doing because they are doing some great stuff. I mean, Office 365 as a platform just keeps getting better and better and better. It just keeps giving and giving, you know, I do a lot of training in office 365 and I just don't know when to stop because there was so much stuff inside it. Most people don't get off outlook yet. There's so much cool stuff inside office 365. So you can't ignore it, but I do think people, you know, people have to get past that and they have to see past the kind of bright shirts and the trainers and the skinny jeans and, um, and go talk to some people who are trying to kind of squeeze, squeeze through, but can't do sometimes. That's right, and, and the, the, of course, these products affect your day-to-day experiences. So, for example, organising this uh, interview with you, Sunny, today, um, certain products worked very well, and certain didn't. Certain products didn't, and that involves the you know, the, the software, the hardware, and, and everything else. Um, yeah, so you're talking about teachers in stressful situations here. So, if the tech doesn't work, then um, absolutely it's stressful. Absolutely. Well, they're actually. Um, Actually, I was just going to say on that, actually, um, Anchor, which is what we tried to use at the start of this. Um, I've been into some schools recently where I've been talking about podcasts um, and it's moved from the idea of kind of radio. So lots of schools have or not lots of schools, but many schools have kind of had some kind of radio provision. Um, and Anchor for me has been that first step where you can say to schools, actually, you can now go from doing a kind of weekly radio show via Anchor, so you don't need any fancy tools at all, um, to distributing that onto Spotify and Apple Music and so on. And then for parents at home to ask Alexa to play the school radio uh, via, via, well, the school radio podcast via Spotify. And I think what's interesting there is the idea of podcasting has always been a quite a big one for schools because of, you know, expensive equipment and stuff like that. Whereas now, you can get families interacting with podcasts on their Alexa or Google Home devices. And I think that's that's the part of the kind of technology space that I absolutely love. You know, it's um, there are barriers that just get broken down, which enable schools to get much better reach on things like podcasts and radio shows. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and if I go back to my uh, background as an English teacher, um, if voice is the future, then, of course, yep. oracy is currency. Absolutely. Yeah, obviously, it's increasingly important, isn't it? Oh, um, even if you are just you know, trying to uh, ask Alexa to do whatever you want Alexa to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, uh, Sonny. It's been it's been great talking to you uh, as, as always. Um, and I hope to catch up with you soon. Um, and stay on the line after the interview and I'll have a very quick chat with you. Uh, but I'm off to celebrate Tongue Out Tuesday now. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, I'm, I've got some bids to work on. So, uh, but uh, <laughs> yes, that might happen a bit later. Who knows? Uh, thanks for having thank me. So much.
<laughs> All right. Well, catch you soon. Bye bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Coming up next, it's Erin Halligan. Hello, I'm here with Erin Halligan, who's the author of The Fantastical Time Travel Tree. And we're here to talk about social media and how that works for creative people. Um, so before we start, Erin um, has <laughs> 10,900 followers on Twitter. Uh, I made the dreadful error before of saying it was 10,500 and was uh, berated very seriously. So it's, it's 10,900. So um, Erin, um, can you talk us through you know, your relationship with Twitter and how it's working uh, for you as, as, as a writer and as a creative person in general? Well, uh, I think the main thing is to uh, talk about writering with other writers. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and that's about support. And uh, sometimes it's the best place, I think, sometimes for info. I mean, you can go on Google and look for things. Like, I do a lot of research in my books. Um, but I had some very specific questions about the landing module uh, for the, the moon landing in 1969, which I couldn't find info about on, uh, on Google. So uh, I just went to Twitter, uh, wrote my questions down, and tagged NASA and some similar, similar things. And uh, I got a bunch of really helpful and really knowledgeable people answering these things. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And sim similar stories as well, but yeah. Crowdsourcing information, that, 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 that's how you've been using it to a certain extent. Um, <clears throat> and what about for, for those of those are the, for many listeners who don't know what a writer's lift is, um, you've been doing a lot of those and that's been working well for you as well. So talk us through that. Well, I did it first. I've not been so good at it lately. It's basically uh, a way of lifting other writers by tagging them to help them get more followers. And uh, usually at the same time you'll have a question Usually just something fun or entertaining or uh, it could be absolutely anything, really. Uh, maybe nothing offensive, but other than that. Uh, yeah, so just uh, I used to have like make have some kind of writer's lift games, which wasn't really a game at all. It was basically just a question. Um, it can be like a poll or something like that. Well, yeah, it could be things like that. And sometimes I would have things like uh, say three things about yourself. One is a lie and then people are supposed to guess. Things like that. So they, could, they can be games, I suppose. Uh, and then you, you tag some friends uh, or some random people who you follow, who are following you. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's a good way of getting more followers and interacting and getting friends and uh, helping other people get followers, yeah. What would you say to people who are obsessed with just having you know, lots of followers? I mean, I said that you know, people would pay good money to have 10,900 followers. They really would. Um, but do you think it's overrated or, or do you think it's actually really important to actually have you know, that number of you know, many, many followers? I think the only reason I think it's important to have a lot, apart from the fact that you'll have more people to interact with, is that uh, <clears throat> publishers apparently are more likely to publish your books if you have... Uh, a media following, uh, social media following, especially on Twitter, at, and an active account. Um, so I think, I think for that reason, I wanted a lot of followers. Just other than that, just for the number, I don't really see that being important. 
Yeah. Yeah. So really, you know, at this stage, you're not aspiring to being a, an influencer, if you like. You know, to being so um, well followed and influential that people would pay money to uh, for you to, I don't know, um, be photographed with wearing their merch, for example. Um, yeah. But but like like you said, in, in an ideal world, if you're looking for an advance from a publisher or you're looking for uh, to demonstrate the leverage, if you like, of, of um, the influence of your book, then um, that could help. Um, and you did say something before about um, Facebook, how you sort of um, you know, retired, if you like, from from Facebook. Facebook is not working as well for you as a creative as, as it was uh, when you, wh- wh- before you started writing. Well, yeah, I mean, fa- my Facebook was just personal, basically, uh, whilst the Twitter is, is more, I'm thinking that more as a, not a business thing, but it's more from the writer's side, uh, really. Uh, I think because I have a lot of friends and family in other countries, so it became a way of, of keeping them updated about, you know, family, kids, anything else. But because you can't really slag off your kids on, on, on Facebook, can you? So it became all, it was all the positive stuff, but it just became a bit sort of fake and I didn't like the person I was becoming. So uh, I just abandoned that, really. Yeah. So what about the, because I, 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 uh, I'm fascinated by the, the person people are on Twitter as well. I mean, I, I believe that you've got to have ele- very strong elements of yourself, you know, your, your um, real persona um, should be very, very similar to the one that you exhibit on Twitter, the one that you share on Twitter. Um, I, th- I think that, you, you know, you can't be genuine if, um, if, if, if your Twitter persona is, is, is fake, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that you just invented. But um, how do you navigate those waters? I think you have to be, well, I suppose it depends a bit on your uh, target audience maybe a bit as well if you're writing because my books are kiddie books. For s- the series I'm doing now is for seven to nine-year-olds. And um, I, I do try and let my sense of humor get through, which could be a good thing and maybe not always a good thing. But uh, I suppose some sides of my humor, because I'm pretty, I can be pretty outspoken and my sense of humor can be pretty... Uh, uh, severe, I suppose, in real life. I got to hold back a little bit and not be too personal. But the, the parts of the parts of your personality that fits in with your profile, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about elements of it, isn't it? So you know, I've, I've got a very dark, <laughs> twisted sense of humour, as, as, as a few, of course, um, and I hold that back you know i rein it in on twitter because uh, people would just think it was offensive a lot of the time and there are lots of subjects that i don't talk about as well like like football i, I try to stay clear of politics i try to stay clear of uh, trolling people um and of course um from commenting on you know controversial issues um so anything that might uh, make, make me look bad it was interesting that you mentioned facebook before and about becoming a person who you didn't want to become um slagging off your kids and so on because it, that idea of context goes out the window on social media so somebody could you could say something like oh my kids are driving me mad and people say you're, you're such an evil mother aren't yeah. you yeah I, I didn't want to do that so I, I was just it was just all the positive things and it just became a bit fake and I don't know I, I did I, yeah I didn't like that it's uh, I think it often is like I think but the, I think audience is interesting as well because on my Facebook I had my friends and my parents and my parents as friends and you got to be think about what you're putting out to which kind of audience I suppose on Twitter it's kind of easier. It's just more the same kind of audience. Plus, I'm only—it's a different part of my personality that I'm putting out there. So, I think just like when you're writing books with social media, you have to think about who your audience is, really. Yeah. Yeah, and f- finally, for for now, what about developing uh, as a writer? So, uh, feedback, for example, the, the F word, feedback. Um, what kind of feedback has been uh, useful or useless uh, on Twitter? 
<coughs> Sorry, what do you mean there? Well, feedback about your writing. You know, so you've got you've got an idea. You talk about your ideas, and or do you talk about your ideas? Um, I do sometimes if I need. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I do sometimes, I suppose. But I think that the thing that's been the most useful uh, when it in, when it comes to that is I found some uh, readers basically who uh, and some critique partners who have uh, read my book and gave me, give me comments. Sorry, can we take that one again? Can you ask that again? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, can, yeah, oh, of course, you can edit that, yeah. Um, what, what kind of feedback have you had on, on Twitter about your writing? I mean, I suppose one thing is, are you frightened that people might uh, steal your work, <laughs> claim it as their own? Um, well, I, 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 I was a bit at first, but then I'm thinking most people are just basically... Uh, they write their own thing. They want to get that out, out there, I suppose. Um, uh, because at first I was worried about, because you need people to read your book and comment on it to, to make it better. Uh, and at first I was thinking, oh, I don't want anyone stealing my work, thinking, like, they're not going to want to. They're going <laughs> to want to publish their own stories. Um, plus, it's important. So, yeah, I found some, uh, some critique partners through Twitter, which is very useful. I had some really good comments and... Uh, been commenting back as well so uh, that's another thing that Twitter's good for as well yeah, yeah. excellent right well thank you so much for that um, and um, I will see you on Twitter um, yeah. very very soon of course and I will be putting this out on, on, on Twitter and, and on YouTube of course so uh, um, thank you so much for that and uh, we shall speak soon cheers yeah, Aaron definitely see ya next it's Joe Watson again okay so we're back. We um, our food was very good, was it not, Joe? Beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah. You are paying for this, right, Pete? I mean, I don't want to be. Ah. Oh, oh. There is. A, there's an issue. I'm afraid of that. But yeah. Um. So yeah. Oh, my wallet. I don't know what's happened. It walked off. Um. So yeah. So I dropped a, a bombshell before. Um. Are you a mumpreneur? And to be honest, what happened was Joe just basically stormed off for about half an hour. So eventually, through police helicopters and various people, we've got it back. And now she's happy to answer that question. So, Joe. Are you an are you a mumpreneur? And if so, if not, what do you th- how do you feel about that term? Critically consider. Um, Joe Watson is not uh, a mumpreneur. No. Um, to be honest, I don't even like the word entrepreneur. I understand its use, and I, I get why people use it. I don't think it does a lot to tell people what you do, though. If you introduce yourself. Like an influencer, as we've already spoken about. If you say I'm an entrepreneur, I don't know if you're an entrepreneur in plumbing, you know, writing, graphic design, um, you know, the property business. I've got no idea. So I don't think it says anything. So I don't like that word on its own, really. But when you put any other kind of root attached to it, so, you know, mumpreneur, as an example, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's unnecessary. But I also find it... Not offensive, because I don't, I don't take offence. I don't go away and think, my God, I can't recover from this. I'm so angry. I just find it a little bit um, derogatory, really. Um, I'm a mum. Yep, I am. I've got a, a small child. You might call me an entrepreneur, because I run my own business. I would just say I run my own business. But they are, they're both separate. You know, I can be one without the other. Yes, I am living my life doing both. But when I'm a mum... I'm largely trying to look after my child and when I'm running my business I'm largely trying to run my business one is not at the expense of the other they don't impact each other yes I might write about my kid in some of my posts but that's to tell people as we've already spoken about it's, it's about me so they know 
that you know I, I am a parent I do have kids what my values might be what my other priorities might be but I don't think it should be used in my job title because it, it doesn't affect it it's just no bearing on it whatsoever so do you think, without wishing to ask a loaded question, which is a clearly loaded question, do you, th do you think there are some people who sort of profit from that, uh, that notion that, that they, they advise people on how you can be a mumpreneur too? I think there's a certain kind of industry where that works. And honestly, these, these people do tend to be women who are trying to empower other women. And I do believe that that's what they want to do. And they think mumpreneur is this elevated status of, oh, while you're a mum and you're, you're running a business or an empire as well, that's amazing. And I get that. I really do understand why they think that. But I think the point they miss is the fact that other people may start belittling it and they may think well you're not a serious business person then you're, you're classing yourself as a mumpreneur and I think in a world where women still are behind in a lot of things we're not given the same equality or you know opportunities as, as we could be certainly a lot better than it was obviously but in a, in a world where we are still playing catch-up why would you do something to set yourself back and it's a shame because I'm in some business groups who are mums and, they are, and, and that's brilliant I love it I love the people I love the support it is amazing but that one word is thrown around mumpreneur and I don't like it I feel like other people will look at them and go you're not serious and that's a massive shame so I just think we're setting ourselves back Oh, okay. Yeah, and as a few of my friends have said quite recently, you know, parenting itself wasn't really a thing until about thirty years ago, was it? <laughs> it was just basically go to the park, get on with it, and come back for your dinner. It's, we live in a very different world, and and this is the thing. I, I'm always a bit worried when I make my comments about mumpreneur that everyone thinks I'm being disregard, you know, I'm being disrespectful rather and disregarding other mums in business. Of course, I'm not. I'm doing the exact opposite. Being a parent is so hard I completely get why people say it's the hardest job in the world it really is you know and you get no pay for it and zero respect most of the time and you know there's you, you one goal is to keep this tiny person alive until they're a big person and that is really really bloody hard and running a business is bloody hard as well so I, I hate it when people do put themselves in a situation where, where other people will start just not taking them seriously anymore. I want, want people to be respected for what they do and I certainly don't want them to have to put a label on it, especially if it does make them come across in a certain way. And you find it is, it is certain industries, uh, maybe multi-level marketing, who will, who will use it the most, um, you know, because they are largely raising their family, which is so important and essential, but they might be selling a product on the side mm -hmm. as well and I think they're the ones who tend to use the mumpreneur title and and so if someone told me they were a mumpreneur I would assume they were going to try and flog me Arbon or Juice Plus and yeah. and I don't want to be sold those things so again MLM doesn't really exist because people say well it's not really multi-level marketing really is it it's something else it's you know I think as soon as you've got to get defensive about the area you're operating in you know there's an issue you know you shouldn't have to be defensive you should just say look you know you either like what I do or you don't um but when I say to people look I'm not interested in MLM I've found that rather than them saying oh, okay well that's fine each to their own they'll get very defensive and they'll be like well why not why would you not want to create your dream life why would you not want to do this and I thought well you're not actually just trying to sell me the product anymore you're trying to get me to buy in to your system where I will ultimately make you money 
and and I don't want to do that. Any money I make, I want to make it for myself. Thank you very much. So so yeah, I don't I don't deal well with MLM people. Not. I'm not saying they're all the same, but the ones I encounter on LinkedIn, seeing as that was what we were talking about initially, they're just absolutely relentless. You know, I get countless messages, but why wouldn't you want to do this? Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to build a business around your family? I'm like, well, that's what I bloody am doing. You know, I don't, I don't have to sell your product to do it. You respect me and I will respect you. But yeah, to be honest, as soon as they start calling themselves a mumpreneur, that respect is, is going very quickly. So, so I will set you free uh, by giving you the laptop lifestyle, but I'll lock you in at the same time. Yes, that there is no freedom. You know, you, that I, I think it's a very false promise, really. You, you're tied into something. You, you are part of what was traditionally known as a pyramid scheme. And I appreciate, I've got, I've got a lot of friends who are involved in it. And, you know, I'll support them for as long as it is, it's helping them. I just don't, it'd be the same as me saying, okay, I can do your copywriting for you. And people saying, all right, yeah, that's fine. Or me going, you can become a copywriter. Why don't you come into my copywriting circle? And, I, you know, you wouldn't do that in any other industry. If I thought they were just trying to sell me a product, that's great. But they're not. They're trying to get you to buy into their lifestyle and, and trapping you in. And I, I don't agree with that model at all. I really don't. As a, a parent and as an entrepreneur, if you like, you're trapped into many things already, aren't you, I suppose? You really are. Like the school run, for example. <laughs> the school run, yeah, just the fact that you may end up going back to the school a lot quicker, quicker than you thought you would because your child's just thrown up everywhere, yes. as, uh, as we were talking about when I arrived, Pete. And yeah, like I said, it's, it's such a bloody hard job. And if you're running a business as well, God, fair play to you. It is so difficult. I, I don't feel like I'm struggling, but I feel like I'm constantly working hard. I've ne I'm never off. In trying to do both so why put yourself in a position where people don't take you take you as seriously as they should be doing yeah so I mean that brings us to um, sort of more broad social media tips if you like so we talked about being yourself on, on LinkedIn anyway and um, what about other um, social media so uh, for example I'll start you off with, with we were talking about Pinterest before um, and um, you know if I was going to give a few sort of basic tips about Pinterest it's you know Pinterest is basically a, a search engine you know it's a social search engine and um, the great thing is that you can you can get source resources that look really good and share them and it, it really sort of it, it, we were talking about SEO before that contributes towards your SEO if you like you know so you don't need to pay somebody 500 or 1000 pounds a month to tweak your SEO because that will sort of brings people people towards what you're uh, what you're doing um, but also there's quite some quite good analytics through Pinterest as well and now you've got the option of things like um, pin stories where you just put you know, several pins or um, like infographics or videos or images that you've got or whatever. And that, that can create really good uh, traffic um, as well. Um, and it, it, it just really helps people find you in, in, in ways that other, uh, other, other social media don't um, really. Um, so that, that's working for me. Um, one thing I'm not really on board with is, is TikTok, of course. Uh, now, um, yeah, um, not sure how that would work for me because I'm not so young. Uh, would it really work for you? These sort of uh, three-second impactful videos that are, are meant, intended to be viral. Uh, I I don't think it would work for me because obviously would what we need to get to the heart of here is the fact that yes, I'm using LinkedIn in a certain way. But that works really well for me in particular because I am a writer. So LinkedIn gives me that opportunity and that platform to showcase my writing, you know, my talent or my, hopefully my talent with it. 
So I don't think things like TikTok would, would help me showcase that really, whereas LinkedIn it does at least get me to show a more social side of me and um, a more here is what I can do. It's like a, a portfolio of sorts. Um, you've, you mentioned Pinterest though. I do want to look at that because a lot of people have been saying to me, if you're a blogger, Pinterest is amazing for it. Now, I don't understand that at all, but with so many people saying it, I'm really keen to, to look at it because I do blog. I blog for other people, of course, but I blog for myself. I love it. I find it cathartic. It's enjoyable. I get a lot of engagement. Again, it's all good stuff to add to my portfolio and showcase who I am and what I can do. So I love it. So I will look into that. Um, but you know what I find, because I invest so much in LinkedIn, I become exhausted. And so going on anything else, I just don't know where I'd, I'd find the time. So we talked about Twitter as, as well. Um, I'm on Twitter. I can put the same stuff on Twitter that I'll put on LinkedIn and it doesn't get anywhere near the same engagement because I've not spent time on it building my presence and building my audience and I, I think I'd, I'd go mad if I had to to put myself all out there all over again on another platform so I'm, I, I am interested in looking at other platforms that are amazing they do contribute to your SEO as you said but I think if you find one that you love and it works for you go all in that would be my advice really yeah I mean I think in terms of you know content creation if we want to use that phrase um I think we've, we've talked about Canva before as Canva's a really nice way to, to produce um, really high quality um, graphic design uh, and that's really good to share. I think I've got about 7,500 followers on, on Twitter and the, the things that get me the most engagement are things that I make on Canva um, or videos that Oh, have an impact really you know that it's me talking to a camera or it's uh, something that I'm doing and um, and it, it has a meaning it's, it's not like you know here's a PowerPoint presentation taken from 50 feet away in the dark and everyone looks bored no they don't do very well uh, but also tagging the, the people who are involved as well and um, you know tagging people on an image and and using the right hashtags and thinking about those and and so on but I think um, so but the thing is a good image on Canva you can do that in about two minutes but it's even quicker uh, finding something through Pinterest as well. So I get a lot of, uh, you know, if, I'll do well if I get, um, I don't know, 10, six to 10,000 10, page impressions on a post in, on Twitter through an infographic that I found on, on Pinterest. Okay. And that's, that means that you're saving yourself a lot of time because yes. it's still contributing to, towards uh, your SEO and finding, you know, finding, making, making it easier for people to find you. But you're not generating the content. You're, you're the content curator, not the content curator, creator. I'll say that one more time. You're the content curator, not the content creator. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I'm, I'm uh, conscious that we're sort of heading into that, that uh, sort of dangerous territory now, aren't we, of uh, <laughs> talking about social media in this very social media-y way, <laughs> which is not what you're about. It's not. I try to take social media and, uh, as we've already talked about, do the opposite kind of thing. I don't, uh, you don't want to be seen as some kind of character on there, really. You just, I, honestly, I just use social media to showcase what I can do. If people like me while I'm doing it, then that is brilliant. It's an excellent byproduct. But it's a fantastic place for a writer to show what they can do. If I used or shared other people's content it, I'd be doing myself a disservice really so um, but if we are thinking about like interacting with with other things then it's good to engage on other people's posts I do think that and, and show that you're willing to have a conversation and you're not just all about your own stuff um, but I whenever I do my my blogs 
they do say they work better with an image. So with you saying about Canva, you introduced me to Canva. I'd never bloody heard of it. And, and it is, it's so easy to make these fantastic little graphics to go with it. And, uh, and sometimes I kind of fall into a trap. I'll think, oh, I could be a graphic designer. And then you think, oh, I really couldn't. I'll just stick to the words. Well, it's been an interesting upsell, I suppose, couldn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the graphic package, package is an extra £75. Pounds. <laughs> I might try it. Never rule it out, Pete. Never rule it out. Never rule anything out, Joe. <laughs> I really wouldn't. But I think it, I think that's it, it's great that you've got that um, disruptive. I mean, one of the uh, catchphrases would be like or bywords of the 2010s was disruptive, disruptive, wasn't it? People would use that word quite a lot. Yeah, but it's really like disruptive, and um, <laughs> and, and really um, you're cutting through that, aren't you? you know? What you're doing is disruptive, but in the true meaning of the... Yeah, it, it's it's another word I don't like. I think these words, it just sounds like I hate all words. I appreciate that's how I'm coming across. I think sometimes they get overused. I think they're used in the wrong context. When I hear the word disruptive or disruptor, I think, again, that should be something someone says about you, not something you call yourself. It's very arrogant, um, very bullish. I don't really like it. Um, but also, I used to be a teacher, as we've already said. If someone was in my class and they were disruptive, they ruined it for everybody. They ruined it for the teacher, for the other kids. I couldn't give a crap if they ruined it for themselves. It's their own fault. So I don't see it in a positive light at all. So by all means, yeah, change things up a bit um, and throw in a couple of curveballs just to keep things exciting. But don't call yourself a disruptor and, and certainly don't go in just to do that. I've already mentioned a few times, yes, I do cause some controversy, but I stick around for it. I don't just, like, drop those bombs and then run. Like I did before with the Montpreneur. With the Montpreneur one, exactly, and then you went and hid, didn't you? So, no, I I don't do that. I think it it is about, you know, staying around and saying, no, I believe in this, and here's why. Here's how I can prove it. Here is why I feel what I feel. I'm not just saying it to be a bit of a dick. Sorry, I know I said I wouldn't swear. What a a terrible word. Yeah. (laughs) Fun fact of the day, by the way, this is an example of what's called amelioration, where something that used to have negative connotations, disruptive, takes on positive connotations. Uh, Amelioration, that's your word of the day, and fun fact of the day. I'll stop now. (laughs) I like that. I love a good word of the day. But it's true, these things, they change meaning over time. But for me, disruptor, it will always be that little tyke in the classroom who just ruins it for everybody. All your planning, all your prep. Um, everything, it's, they suck the joy out of everything, so so no not a fan of the old disruptor thing even though I am doing it myself in some way I can identify with that because you know this idea of ruining it for everybody once you set the rules once you say to people, that, well this is how you um, use social media, you need to be a disruptor, whatever, that means that the rules are set in place, and obviously social media, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a truism that social media is far too organic and fluid um, to adhere to those rules or rules for that matter yeah it's I, I never it, it's hard really because if people come to you and they say you know well how, how should I do this how or what should I not do you don't really want to tell people because you want to let them carve their own path you know make your own rules with it and be respectful of everyone else's by all means but do what works for you so I don't like to think of myself as breaking any rules because I don't know if if there are any like 
you know, 10 years ago, LinkedIn would have been everyone in suits talking about corporate policy. It's really not now. It's changing. And all of those people 10 years ago who loved how it was, yeah, they won't be liking it. But things move on. Everything moves on, doesn't it? So we've just got yeah. to And I do see a lot of that on LinkedIn um, without, you know, slacking off individuals. Where, where it, it feels like a boring PowerPoint presentation where somebody says, well, without further ado, I'll, I'll carry on with this. And my name is whatever and for my sins, this is my job. <laughs> take a photo as we were saying before like it was from 50 feet away and, and it looks very dark and people are bored yeah and i know it's, it's just you know but that that will be to some people's tastes and that'll be what they're comfortable with and that's what they want and that's fine i hope that i hope that it does work for them i think you know you see things on social media and you think oh god is that is that really having the right effect is it having any effect i like to think if people still keep banging that the drum with it then it is working for them. I think just with anything, you've just got to find your own level and yeah, hope that it works. But if you are constantly putting out those photos and, and everything like that, and it's not getting you anywhere, why the hell are you doing it, really? Why waste your time? Yeah, definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, uh, which is another cliche. That's two now. Sorry about that. <laughs> right, so what I'm going to do is to take a, a short break because uh, my arms are quite tired. And um, I might order a cup of tea. I haven't, I haven't got you for long, though, Joe. This, this, is, this, this isn't going to last for too long because you have to go quite soon, don't you? Oh, I will do, yes. Um, mumpreneur that I am. <laughs> yes, uh, I will have to go get my child, hoping that there's, um, there is a, a, you know, a train getting me back there. So. You're such an empowered role model. <laughs> I know. I am literally stranded. I'm a damsel in distress. I'm doing myself no favours. But, yeah, I'll just be stood on the platform at Piccadilly Station going... I need to get to my child, help me. <laughs> right, so thanks a lot, for, and we'll take a, a short break and come back for our, the uh, thrilling finale. Um, let's see how that will go. That's all this week on EdTech Innovators. Thank you very much for listening. And next week, it's a long interview with Daisy Christodoulou about her new book, which will be Teachers vs. EdTech. So thank you very much for listening. Until next week. See ya.